So Reform University Fellowship is um, a, a campus ministry that takes place um, all over the country. Some of you may be very familiar with it, may have participated in it. Some this may be a, a new uh, a new ministry to you. But um, uh, this June, Austin and Anna Caroline Royal uh, moved to Clarksville to begin the foundation of RUF at Austin P. And uh, we are so glad they are here. Austin is going to speak this morning, so Austin, come on. Thank you. Uh, I got my water because my throat's been hurting me. And a cough drop in right now, but it'll be gone in a second. Um, as Stephen just said, my name is Austin Royal, and my wife is right here with me, and we've come here to start RUF at Austin P. And uh, we're really excited to be here. We actually we we just moved into our house yesterday. I know some of you were were praying that we would be able to close on this house, and we finally did. So thank you all for your many prayers, and thank you all for those who who helped us yesterday. Um, I've never had one of these earpieces before. I'm kind of excited about it. So if I start roaming around and maybe walking down the aisles, just like gently tell me to, to get back on from the podium. Um, the passage that we're looking at today is, is from Luke 4. So as you flip there, I just want to give you a little context. Right before this passage, uh, Jesus has just been baptized. And the voice from heaven has come down and said, Behold, this is my beloved Son. Uh, in whom I'm well pleased. And so Jesus has just been called the Son of God, and now there's a, a genealogy, uh, and then this story that we find in Luke 4, verses 1 through 13. And I'm going to read that to us right now. Hear the word of the Lord. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. For forty days, being tempted by the devil... And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were over, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a good, loving Father. And you are there with your children in the midst of temptation. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that this morning. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see uh, how wonderfully close and present you are to those who are being tempted. Uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, like I just said, we moved to Clarksville about two months ago. Our stuff's been in a storage unit. 
Um, but when you come to Clarksville, the first thing you notice as far as landscape is there's hills everywhere. Uh, and not just hills, but there's fields. There's fields of corn. Um, you see it throughout Clarksville. Everywhere you drive, you see this. As we think about Jesus' temptation, I want you to think about one of those hills, except for just a bare plot of land. No crops, no trees, no vegetation, just dirt on a hill. Now, what happens when it starts to rain? As the rain comes pouring down, the soil softens. Maybe a few puddles form. Um, but over time, as this rain comes down, uh, ruts and crevices begin to form. And there's a shift and erosion begins to happen. <clears throat> and the steeper the hill, the more erosion there is. Until, as it continues to rain, there's a, this bare plot of land all of a sudden has all these different ruts and crevices cut through it. Paths are being formed by the rain. And after a large storm, this bare plot of land now looks like a road system where rain freely, freely flows as it comes down. The water has an easy path down the hill. It flows freely and nothing obscures its path. That's what happens to our minds when we're being tempted and we actually give in. We often think, oh, if I just give in this once, if I satisfy this desire one time, it'll go away. I won't need it any longer. But the opposite's true. Our minds and hearts like dirt hills, easily shaped and molded by the raining down of temptation on unmanaged soil. When we give in, the path to saying yes just becomes easier the next time. We all know what temptation is. It comes to us at different points, different times, different locations, sometimes on a normal day when you're not looking for trouble, but oftentimes on a hard day when you're looking for a way to cope, when you're looking for a way to feel better, something to make your day more interesting. Those are the places that temptation lives. Sometimes it comes like a forceful rainfall, but sometimes it's just a simple drizzle whispering in your ear, just give in. James 1, 14 and 15 says this about temptation. It lures and entices our desires. It seeks to seduce them away to something. You don't have to be a Christian to understand temptation because we all know what it's like to have someone dangling something in front of us that for some reason we know we're not supposed to have. The thing is, 99% of the time, when we're told we can't have something, it makes us want it more. Your heart loves this. That's what we're up against. We're up against a heart that looks for things it knows it's not supposed to have and a devil who freely offers up things for us. So dealing with temptation in a healthy way often seems impossible. But then we come and see Jesus. We see Jesus in this story, and he actually obeys. He actually withstood the onslaught of the devil and obeys. Everyone had crumbled before Satan until Jesus. Now, with that in mind, we're going to talk about three things. First, two, the two-pronged attack of the devil. The devil attacks our weaknesses, and he attacks our faith in God. And then finally, we're going to talk about how do we resist. So, first, before we get to weaknesses, we need to understand this. Jesus wants us thinking about another story in the background of this story of Jesus' temptation. He wants us thinking about Adam in the garden and him giving into the serpent. 
and Israel in the wilderness and their failure to obey. Now, thousands of years later, another son of God is in the wilderness and he's being tempted. And the question is, will this son of God actually obey? And here's the setting. It's not the garden. It's the wilderness. It's a desert wasteland. Some of you, you've been to Afghanistan. You might know what this desert wasteland could look like. For other of us, maybe we don't know what a desert wasteland literally looks like, but we all know the wilderness because we all know what hardship's like. We know what suffering and pain is like. We know what it's like to experience drought in the area of joy, peace, finances, your own spiritual walk with God. A constant state of discomfort with present trials that don't seem to be going away anytime soon. That's the wilderness. And Jesus is living in, yes, the literal wilderness, but he's also experiencing the brokenness of humanity. And it's in that moment that the devil comes to him and says, offers him these temptations. So think about this. Jesus is in this little literal desert wasteland. Think about the discomforts of a body beaten down by the sun. Jesus is starving. He's exhausted. And maybe most deadly in the wilderness, he's alone. He's starving, exhausted, alone. And it's in that moment that the devil comes to him. The epitome of vulnerability. and says, find life with me. Find shelter with me. Let me give you what you need. Now, the text makes it kind of seem like a simple encounter. Uh, the devil tempts, and Jesus answers. They move to the next scene. The devil tempts, and Jesus responds. Uh, and then a third time, almost as if the devil is this used car salesman, and Jesus is just some smart customer who's, reversed, who's rehearsed his, his answers. Um, but sit with this. Jesus was human. Yes, he was God, but he was also human. Don't miss the humanity of this. He is hungry. He is starving. He's alone. His heart is beating, mind racing, the exact same way yours and mine does. And he has to fight. You see, the devil understands us. He knows humans. He's been tempting us a lot longer than any of us have been alive. He knows our pressure points, our weaknesses, the situations where we're most vulnerable. Uh, when I was in college, I started watching boxing on ESPN Classic, uh, usually to avoid studying for tests, but I loved watching Muhammad Ali. He was so good at what he did, quick, fluid, always knowing what his opponents were going to do next and where he was going to attack next. And what's interesting about boxing is boxers aren't randomly swinging, flailing their arms around. They're not trying to hit any and everywhere they can. There's nothing chaotic about what they do. They're extremely calculated and organized. They know exactly where they want to hit you. And they're only aiming for two or three spots. They're trying to hit you in the ribs, or they're trying to hit you in the head, or they're trying to hit you in the chin. Those are the only spots they aim for. They focus on those two areas. They're trying to hit you and wear you down. Uh, maybe seeking a knockout punch, but at the very least, wearing you down until you actually will give in. It's not chaotic. It's methodically hitting the same two spots over and over and over again. That's what the devil does with you in temptation. He's like a boxer that keeps punching the same two or three areas until you give in or until you break. 
where are those? What are those areas? Is it stealing or cheating to get ahead? Or is it lying to make yourself look better or to feel better about yourself? Or is it hitting you in the area of body image and your worth before God or in the relationships that you wish you had for some reason you can't? What are the areas, the two or three areas that the devil is hitting you? Maybe a better question is when you're alone, when you feel out of control, when life has been hard, what do you do? Where, who, what do you turn to? Satan offers these things to your temptation, offers temptations to your weaknesses. Um, with that in mind, we're going to move to the second point where he's not just attacking our weaknesses, he's also attacking our faith in God. Um, he goes after your faith and trust in God. Is God good? Does he care? Can he be trusted? These are the questions that tempted people are, being at, are asking because, let's be honest, whatever we're being tempted with looks good, and God better have a good reason for why he says, no, you can't have that. Look at Jesus in the way he's tempted. He's tempted with food, he's tempted with power and glory, and he's tempted to prove himself, to prove his sonship before the devil. Um, so we're going to look at those briefly, the three of them. Satan tempts him to do things, but he also tempts him to believe things that aren't true about God. God isn't trustworthy. He won't provide. Look, you've been stuck here 40 days. He's not providing for you. You're starving. God doesn't care. So indulge yourself. Let me give you what you need. The devil's saying, think about how bad this hurt, hurts and how hungry you are and compromise. Uh, with the second one, the devil offers the kingdom of the world, which is interesting because Jesus was actually in line to receive them. Uh, he is the true king, and he knew that. But his path was through pain, suffering, and the cross. And Satan comes in and says, let me give you these things. Take the easy way. Your father, on the, hand, on the other hand, he wants you to suffer. He wants to break you. Forego the work and get ahead easy. Do it with me. And then the final temptation, the devil takes him to the pinnacle of the temple and says, throw yourself down if you're the son of God. Prove to me you're the son of God. And what's interesting, he actually quotes Psalm 91, part of Psalm 91, which we read earlier, this beautiful psalm that Dave talked about that talks about how God is a provider, a protector. He sustains his people. And Satan says this and says, does your father really love you? Is he really there for you? Because it doesn't look like. You look pathetic right now. Do you hear these? Listen to this. The temptations are different, but the course is the same. Where is God? Where is your father? He doesn't care. He's left you here alone. The devil does the same with me and you. Um, Remember, uh, James tells us that temptation is something that lures us. It entices us away towards something. In other words, it's something that looks or seems very pleasant. And if that's true, James is telling us that in the midst of temptation, we're like moths in a dark room, and someone comes on and flips on a light. In that moment, the excitement and enticement of the bright light draws us in. It's all we can think about. Moths see a light and they move towards it. Their minds are flooded. 
It's like they're in this trance. They see a light, they desire, and all they think about is the light, moving towards it. It's the only thing that seems reasonable to them in the dark room. They're locked into the light and can't imagine any other reality. And we do the same when our minds are flooded by temptation. The only thing that makes sense, the only thing that feels right is actually giving in. In that moment, in the dark room, what would it look like to snap out of it? What would it be like to actually remember your God is present? He offers an alternative. The Bible tells us there's always another light in the dark room. There's always an alternative way to walk down, a different path. But you need Jesus to do that. You need his Holy Spirit. The, the Bible tells us two powerful things about resisting and fighting temptation. One is 1 Corinthians 10.13. God always provides an escape. And then James 4.7, which was read just a moment ago, if you resist the devil, he'll free from you. But left to yourself to do it on your own, you're not going to. When moths see a light, they move towards it. And you're the same way. If it's the only light you see, you're going to move towards it. But Jesus saw an alternative way. And how did he do that? He looked, he believed, he trusted, he fought, he believed in the promises of God. Um, you remember the bare pot of land that was talked about earlier? Uh, Jesus had that same bare pot of land, but he planted crops, shoots of corn that took root in the soil. When the rains came, the crevices and ruts didn't, didn't happen. There was no path formed because the rainforest of God's word was deeply rooted in his life and heart. He believed God and trusted his promises. The soil, the soil stood firm. Even in the wilderness, through the drought, through the suffering, Jesus was able to see through the lies of the devil and trust his Father. His faith and trust were firmly rooted in the God who promised his love on him. That brings us to our third point. How do we actually resist? We see what Jesus has done. How do we actually resist the devil when he attacks us, when he attacks our weaknesses, when he attacks our faith in God? What... Think about it. What, what's your line of defense in those two or three, four places that the devil's attacking? What do you do when the sharks are swarming because they smell blood? They know you're vulnerable. They know you're fragile. They know you're done because they've met you in the same place every day for the last week, the last month, or maybe since as long as you can remember. What do you do? Well, the Bible says resist. This is a fight. You're active in the process. You have to be. You pray. You remember. You claim the promises of God. You cry out. You speak truth to yourself. I mean, when we see the story, we can't help but recognize Scripture is a way to fight temptation. Uh, the rainforest of Scripture creep, keeps the soil of your heart secure. But it's also not some magic pill. You can't just throw words at temptation and expect them to go away. You have to battle and you fight. But you also, you also have to throw yourself on Jesus. Temptation is a place where you learn to cry out to God, where you learn to let the God who understands in, into the stickiest places in your life that you wish no one knew about. But you can only do this 
if Jesus is safe. You can only do this if you can actually trust Jesus. Um, there's a commercial that uh, I've seen a lot recently, um, but it's it's about the Marines, and it's this dark, uh, this deep voice comes over and narrates who the Marines are and what they do. And what you see is uh, these uh, Marines running across this desert wasteland. There's tanks, there's helicopters, um, there's trucks, and the beginning of the commercial says this, only a few move towards the sound of chaos. And so you see you know, this unfolding. It's cool. They're wearing their, their awesome gear, and, um, and you see the tanks and all that. And then in the middle of it says this, we're the first to move towards the sound of tyranny and justice and despair. And the, the commercial ends with these Marines decked out running towards uh, this horizon of gray smoke. And across the screen it says this, which way would you run? Immediately you can't help but ask yourself, which way would I run? Like, uh, would I run towards the sights and sounds of chaos and destruction if I actually had a choice? And this is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why you can trust him. This is why you can let him in to the dark areas of your life. Jesus looked down from heaven, saw the tyranny, saw the chaos, and flung himself right into the middle of it. In the story, when it comes to Jesus, or when it comes to you and which way we're running, we, we were not running. We never were running. We are in the wreckage. We're in the smoke. We're immersed in the chaos and slave to the tyrant. And Jesus comes in, flings himself into the midst of it to break the power of Satan. He's the only one who could. The message isn't, you see what Jesus did right now. If you just try a little bit harder and try and do the same thing he did, then you'll be okay. It can't be that because Luke has reminded us, Adam failed. Israel failed. You have failed. Jesus came running in our direction because we were too deep in the chaos. We were too enslaved. He's the only one that could fight. And he won. And he fought for our victory. Now, look at the God who's calling you to fight temptation. He doesn't hold his obedience over you. He's not standing on the side of the pool yelling at you to tread water on your own or sink. He's jumped into the pool with you, and he's holding your head above water. Because he loves you and knows your temptation, the struggles you face, you can let him in. Look at the story. He's lived it. He understands it. He's entered into it. And therefore, he knows the dirtiest places of your life. He knows the darkest places of your life. And he's not surprised. And he's not scared off. In your bulletin, there's a passage of scriptures from Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. Um, and it says this. It says, because Jesus has entered the messy chaos of our lives and face temptation, he's a merciful high priest. Listen to what the, the passage says, Hebrews 2, 7 and 18. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Made like his brother in every way suffered the same way they have, tempted the same way they have. Because Jesus has lived it, he understands 
And because he understands, compassion and mercy flow like a broken fire hydrant. You can't stop it. Which means you can trust him. Which means you can let him into the places where you're weak. The dark places. Listen to the paraphrase from the J.C. Raw quote also in your bulletin. Jesus is your mighty friend in heaven who feels for you in all your temptations and can enter into all your spiritual anxieties with you. He is just the Savior that tempted people require. Jesus is a friend and a Savior, one who's present and active, compassionate and merciful, fighting with you, yes, but also offering you mercy and forgiveness in your failures. Jesus sees the same weaknesses the devil sees, the same struggles the devil attacks, and he has compassion. He shows up as another light in the dark room and says, come and throw yourself on me and let me carry you through this. Um, In closing, I want to end with a simple middle school illustration because those are everyone's favorite years. Um, But the text is saying this, till now everyone has caved. Adam, Israel, us, we've all freely given ourselves and followed after the devil. And in that, we've been enslaved to the tyrant. But Jesus came and he fought and he won. And because he fought and won, it's like this for me and you. It's like we're on a playground and there's a bully on the playground. He's bigger and stronger and every day he pushes you around. You can't fight back. You don't have a chance. Every day he toys with you. He drags you through the mud. He pulls your hair. He pushes you around. He makes you do things that you don't want to do. But then one day, your big brother, a high schooler, bigger and stronger than the bully, he comes onto the playground because he loves his little siblings. He shows up at recess and runs the bully off. In that moment, the bully loses all his power and authority on that playground. What do you do the next day when you go on the playground? What changes? You play more freely. It's safer. You can resist the bully when he comes back because you know your big brother has your back. He's watching out for you. He's going to protect you. He's in your corner, and he's in your corner not just to protect you and help you fight, but to show you compassion and mercy when the bully comes back and for whatever reason takes advantage of your weaknesses. We're in a fight, and there's no other way to think about it, but we don't fight alone. You fight with the power of Christ, his word and his spirit, but you also fight with his body. Um, We are the body of Christ, which means we not only need to let Jesus into this area, we need to let each other in. Uh, We need people speaking truth to us who will help us hold us up when we're falling. You need to let people in this room into your areas of temptation and let them know. Um, Because temptation isn't going away, but neither is your compassionate high priest, your victorious savior. You aren't fighting alone, and more importantly, you aren't being abandoned when you fail. Jesus doesn't keep his victory to himself. He offers his perfect record to you. He says, here, you take my obedience and I'll take your failures. That's the gospel. Trust and throw yourself onto your merciful high priest 
who is able to keep you from falling and present you spotless before God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a dear Father, and you love us, even in the midst of our sin, even in the temptations that we face, you love us, and I pray that that would be a reality for us. Lord, help us to see how beautiful your word is uh, and apply it to our lives, to meditate on it uh, so that we can fight and fight well. Um, But Lord, help us also to see our need for Jesus and to throw ourselves upon him uh, so that we can claim his victory, um, even in the midst of our failures. Um, Lord, we love you, and we pray your blessing upon us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.